Hey guys, uh, welcome to another episode of the show. Got my uh, friend Brian Gold here next to me, and we got our friend Jimmy coming down to uh, you know talk to us about life, etc. Dude, thanks for having me, guys. Good Appreciate to be here. you coming out. Uh, absolutely. And it's a sunny day, even though you're leaving. I know it's it's hard not to enjoy LA. I try to get out here more and more every time I come out. You know, I know a lot of people are leaving LA, but every time I come out, I'm like, oh, it's just hard to have a bad day when you feel good. It's warm and beach is close by, you know, just be here 140 days a year and then you don't have to worry about taxes. It's perfect. <laughs> <laughs> so well, welcome to LA. Uh, why don't you tell us? Um, well, let's who is Jimmy? With, yeah. And like I've seen you started this whole coaching program now, just how it differs from other coaching programs that are out there now. And then we'll just kind of dive into the history of Jimmy. Sure, man. Yeah. So my coaching program I, it's called We Are The They. Um, I can kind of get into what that name means later on if you want in my story or whatever. But basically, you know, for me, I, I had been in real estate for like 17, 18 years, had reached kind of the pinnacle of success for me as a real estate agent. And there's always another layer in real estate to get to. You can get in developing and, and investing and all that kind of stuff. And I'd done a lot of that too, but I kind of just had this epiphany that I need to do something different, something that was going to be more meaningful, impactful. And, uh, and so I started listening to what people were reaching out to me about on Instagram. I had guys all the time hitting me up saying, dude, where do I find a group of guys like you guys? Where do I find a group of friends like you have? You guys seem to really have each other's backs. You have a lot of fun. You're all pushing each other to do more. And I realized that what I have, you know, I really feel like I have the best group of guy friends in the world. There's I, my 40th birthday party. I chose my 30 best friends and we went and did this trip and it was, I literally was like, man, who do I cut, you know, to to make this happen. So I feel very blessed that way, but I have spent a lot of time, you know, for everything that I lack in romantic relationships, I've never made one of those work more than about a year. It does give you a lot of time to create strong bonds with guys and friendships. And so I've kind of like honed in this skill of doing that. And so I realized, you know, as I wanted to get into coaching and developing and some of that kind of stuff, and it just hit me, oh, I should coach men. I should teach them how to create these safe containers, this um, deep friendships and things like that. So I started Weird That They with really the number one reason was to help men connect on a deep level, um, create a space where men can talk about things they're uncomfortable talking about that they're, you know, normally wouldn't share. And uh, and then the second part of it was I had just come out with my book. It's called You End Up Where You're Heading, The Hidden Dangers of Living a Safe Life. And in the book, I really go through the hero's journey. I think most people in life really play down to what they could be doing. And unfortunately, you get to the end of your life and you know you don't regret the things you tried to do. You regret the things you never did. You regret never taking the trip or making the tough phone call or whatever those things are. And so um, in that book, I really explain how to do that. I've been to over 105 countries now. I've really experienced about everything you can in life. And so I wanted to help other people to be able to, to do that as well. Because I think all the gifts of life come on the other side of fear one way or another, whether that's having a kid or you know, whatever. I mean, asking a girl out or, you know, jumping off a giant cliff attached to a rope or whatever it might be. And so I wanted to have that be a big part of my program too, was really helping push people past those points of comfortability. And so in the program, we do a lot of stuff. Um, we, you know, we went and swam with tiger sharks. Um, I have guys get up and talk about all their deepest insecurities. We do I mean, anything that would make you super uncomfortable. We've basically done it. Can a tiger shark bite you? Oh, it can bite you. Yes. Here's the thing though. So this is like, um, don't get me going on sharks. I'm a total, one of my tattoos is a shark because I'm a total shark nerd. But um, so about 200 million people a year swim with sharks in a setting where they could have been attacked. And you hear about it happening maybe four or five times a year. 200 million. Yes. Wow. Like they just don't attack humans very often. You have a much larger chance when I went out to eat last night in Hollywood, walking down the street two blocks of getting attacked <laughs> yes. than you ever would swimming with sharks, right? Yeah. But um it's just that fear people have yeah well every time it happens it's such a big news story it's like somebody getting struck by lightning or something like that they're just they're gonna share about it and so it seems like it's happening all the time but anyway and so when you swim with tiger sharks though i i invite you guys if you do one thing in your life that like will push you go swim with tiger sharks because you're in the middle of the ocean there's no cage these things look like a minibus coming at you dude they're humongous wow. and they but you see them come in from the deep blue I'm telling you, it's like the most majestic thing. You can feel their energy and you just know they're like, they're cool. They don't want to, you know, screw with you and you're not going to worry about them. And there's this, this exchange of like, I could destroy you, but I won't. And they come right up next to you, dude. It was pretty intense. 
yeah, they're bumping you and kind of like... I had to... Yeah, you're not allowed to touch him. You don't want to touch him. But, like, it got too close at the one point, so I had to move its head to the side. But, yeah, man, it's wild. And it's life-changing. It's... I mean, it's it's pushing past a fear that, you know... Was this out of Florida or out of the... Um, that's out of the Bahamas. Bahamas. There's a place called Tiger's Beach. You can go do it. Up. Yeah, you, you basically go out on a liveaboard and stay there for three, four days. Did you pee your suit? Uh, might have peed my suit. Yeah, I'm sure I did. But anyway, so my program is just, I do all these experiences and it's all with the intent. You know, we do the ice baths. We do the, um, we did a thing called the Masogi Challenge with Bedros and his group. I, I know you that. work with those guys. The idea is to have one day so difficult that all the other days are easy in comparison um, okay. every year. You Bedros looks like they abused you that day. Uh, they took, yeah, they took us to the cleaners a little bit, but it's really, that's the stuff though, right? And like you get done with a day like that, my knee's kind of been tweaked ever since, to be honest, I'm like three weeks later. But at the end of the day, doing those hard things, it just helps you realize that, oh, I can do whatever I need to. And so that's what my program's all about. It's pushing people, it's pushing men to be the best version of themselves through um, the three pillars we talk about is uh, vulnerable, authentic, and in integrity. Those are the three things we really try to focus on. I like it. And then uh, I saw online, you've also now integrated the wives, the girlfriends into their own group. And then are you guys doing groups together? How does that kind of all work? Yeah, so we don't have groups together, but what I realized, you know, very quickly, so I, the last eight years, I had a life coach named Melissa. I met her through the Tony Robbins organization and she's brilliant. I mean, she's an amazing human and, and uh, the best life coach out there. I've had multiples and she's so much better than the rest I've ever had. But she was, you know, early on when I launched my program, she said, hey, what are you doing for the wives and girlfriends? Because if you don't incorporate them, they're gonna get left behind. There's gonna be this gap that grows, right? I mean, anybody that starts self-development, you know, a lot of times their friends shift. Ed Milet was talking about this the other day. They, they end up, you have to just lose friends, unfortunately, because what happens is you're growing. If people aren't growing with you, if you don't love them any less, but you just kind of grow apart. You don't have as many things to talk about. You're just going to be on different frequencies. And, uh, and she said, we can't have that happen with the guys with their wives and girlfriends. So we need to make sure we're bringing them along. Well, I was smart enough to know I like, I'm the last guy qualified to coach women on how they can improve their lives. And we didn't want to make it a, this is how you need to show up for your men. This is what you need to do to be a better wife. That's not that at all. It's, we want you to grow alongside your husband and then the relationship will grow together. And so after a few months of just being like, Ugh, I don't because like women are emotional. They get, can be more catty. They're more clicky. They just are like guys. You're like, Hey, quit being a bitch. Like get your shit yeah. together. Like you two over here. What the yeah. fuck? Let's talk. Like, which one of you needs to freaking apologize when you needs to eat it? You know what I mean? And you just talk with women. It's like such a dance. And I knew I wasn't qualified to do it, to be honest. And so um, finally, Melissa's like, we'll do a one day event. I'll come in and help you and let's see how it goes. And I'm like, okay, I'll, I can do a one day event. So I did a free event for the wives and girlfriends and it was amazing, uh, incredible. And Melissa just rocked it. And so I was like, hey, what would it look like to bring you on full-time? And so I brought her in, she left her old job and she runs it full-time for me now. She runs the wives and girlfriends and it, we actually just open it up to any woman now um, that wanna join the women's tribe. And so, yeah, so they have their group. I have the guys group and, uh, and they run side by side. That's awesome. Do you ever see them kind of meshing to do joint events? We do. So I do an annual event every year, the B1 conference. That's our um, annual, it comes from the saying from Marcus Aurelius, waste uh, waste no more time arguing what a good man should be B1. And so that's kind of our tagline of our kind of our clothing brand B1. Um, but we did our first event in February, had about 500 people there and yeah, it was co-ed men and women. And yeah, it was amazing. I had Erwin McManus come be a keynote speaker. He wrote the genius of Jesus and the way of the warrior. Um, Dan Fleischman came and spoke about branding, had five or six other speakers, just some in incredible people. And then I had a therapist, uh, a relationship expert come. He did a three and a half hour workshop for the couples. And oh, wow. yeah, it was really cool. That's definitely huge. Yeah. Um, let's uh, go back a second and talk about the the pillars again, because the, the, the integrity. And then you also mentioned uh, giving men a safe space to be open about uh, things that are I'm, I'm believing that are not, you know, norm, normally men don't feel safe speaking about maybe uh, loss, emotional, uh, maybe feeling like they're not enough or uh, explaining to people that, that, you know, depression and these things, you know, I know in men are, we're supposed to be so. Yeah, I know. We looked at to be strong and to be leaders in this and it's almost we're looked down on if we if we show that we don't have it together. We don't, you know, 
So yeah, the way I say it is like, it's never been safe. Um, uh, it's never been okay not to be okay. Right. For men, they got to keep it together. They got to be strong. I mean, I just came from a podcast, you know, a guy that his wife was killed by a drunk driver and his little daughter survived it. And he has to, I mean, that dude has to be strong for his daughter. He can't show that vulnerability a lot. There's nowhere for that person to go. And, um, so the first weekend I ever bring my guys together, the first weekend they're there, they all get together, 50 guys, they come to an event. And to, to your point, I do this exercise on day two where I have 50 guys in a circle and I ask them a series of 40 questions. And if that question applies to them, I have them step into the circle. So I started out pretty simple, like, Hey, if you, uh, if you had a parent divorce when you were a kid, step in the circle, right? You get 10 guys, whatever. Right. Um, say, then I say, if you've ever had a sibling pass away, step in the circle and say, if you've ever dealt with depression or if you ever, um, thought about killing yourself, step in the circle and get a lot of guys. Right. And then you say, if you feel alone often, that was one question that I asked and all, but like two dudes stepped in the circle. And what I realized is every single guy room, almost no matter where they're at in life, feels somewhat alone in some way like that they've got this burden they're carrying that they're trying to provide and protect and all those things and um then i start asking some questions like you know if you've ever been cheated on by a girl by a woman step in the circle if you've ever cheated on somebody step in the circle i said it and then i ask at one point i say if there's something you need to go home and talk to your wife about right now to get back into integrity step in the circle like 20 dudes, you know, 15 dudes step in the circle. What happened? Everyone's balling. I mean, everybody's having this experience because what you realize for the first time is that you're not alone, that every all these guys are going through this. And it really breaks down those walls where we're afraid to talk. And then I open it up. I share my story and some vulnerable things, some of the hardest things I've gone through, a lot of which by myself. And then I had a couple other buddies of mine that spoke and they did that. And then these guys do that exercise and everyone wants to share. And I mean, there was guys that they were sharing things they've never shared before. You know, there was four or five dudes in the group that um, had been sexually abused as kids, never told a soul and like told the group for the first time, got to go home and talk to their wives and girlfriends about it, stuff like that, just some crazy stuff. But so my, what I'm really trying to do with this group is to create a space, a container so safe that everybody feels comfortable to talk about the things. Because what happens in life is we think, you know, if anybody knew this about me, they wouldn't love me. But the truth is, is if you're vulnerable with the right people, the more that you are able to share with that, like, if, you know, where you think like, oh, if they knew that I've done this thing, you know, and it's always like something that everybody, like so many people are dealing with, but you feel like you're the only one and they share it and then they feel that love, then they can actually trust the love they're getting. Right. And so instead of being like, well, if they really knew who I was, they wouldn't love me. So there's one guy, you know, he had to, and he just doing a couple things off a little bit and it wasn't even that bad to be honest, but he, he said that every good moment of his life was ruined because he'd had um, these things that he'd done when he was younger. And he said, every single time I thought if they really knew who I was, they wouldn't be celebrating me right now. So every time he was celebrated deep down, this was playing. So he, for his first time, talked to his wife and his family about some things and they just loved him. They're like, oh my gosh, I'm so sorry you had to go through this alone that you weren't able to come and talk to us. And, and all of a sudden the dude is just like, dude, for the first time in my life, I know my wife loves me. I know my family wow. loves me. It's just super powerful. And what a guy can do when he no longer is living in that shame and that guilt, um, it really changes the game for how he can show up for everybody else in his life. Let me uh, let me ask a, a you know more of a metaphysical question while we're on this subject. And you have the experience with with a lot of people in this space. So, what do you think it is about the way men are wired that makes us feel like we're alone? or traveling through this life without people to help us or support us in it. Yeah, I mean, I think, and I think the tide's turning, but think about it when you're little, right? If something's wrong, if I go to, you know, my dad, he's like, suck it up, you know, be a man or whatever, those things, that was the yeah. way, you know, that generation was raised that way because a lot of times they didn't have time to deal with feelings and things. They're trying to, I mean, you had to, things were happening quick. Like you're going to, you know, there was a lot of them went to war and a lot of them had to deal with hardship and a lot of them just trying to put, put food on the table. I'll just give an example. I had a chance a couple of weeks ago um, to have a really deep conversation with my dad. And it was for the first time I've ever, we got to go this deep. And I started asking him a little bit about some of the things he, when his dad died when he was young and um, they had a ranch in uh, Randolph, Utah is one of the coldest places in the country. And his, you know, he went, he left to go on a mission while his, you know, his dad was, had just died. And he left his two sisters to kind of run it. And then they got into a lot of problems. 
and so and I, he's carried this guilt and this shame and i was like dad I was like when was the last time you talked to somebody about this and he said i've never discussed this with anyone it was never safe and so to my dad you just like suck it up right like you just deal with it and so i think a lot of the messaging to men has been you just deal with things suck it up like we don't talk about that like and unfortunately when you don't talk about it you never actually get to heal it and so it kind of just keeps going from one person to the next and so i think as kids if you talked about your feelings with your guy friends they made fun of you so you don't want to do that and if you talked about it with girls like hell no you were going to do that it wasn't even safe with your buddies right and so I mean, I remember sometimes when we were younger and, you know, and somebody would admit something that was vulnerable and we used it against him for the next five years. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. I mean, hell, the movie, The Sandlot, think about the times when the boy tries to get a little bit vulnerable no, totally. and then it gets used against him. And that's a yeah. good movie. Like, that's like where they're being, they are true friends, but just those little things where, and we're kind of just, I think, I think there is a shift in society. There's a shift now. And that's what I'm trying to help lead out in front of where it's like, no, you don't have to like, you're never, you're not a victim to these things. You don't blame. It's not like this happened to me so I can be this way. It's no, no, no. Here's something that happened. I'm just going to talk about it. I don't need you to fix it. We just need to hold some space so that you know that you're loved. And once you see like, hey, you're not your decisions. Like nobody's, you know, you don't have to feel shame or guilt over this thing that happened. You're probably innocent and now that you've talked about it, you can feel the love you get from us is real. You know, I've had one of my closest buddies, um, you know, came to me a couple of years ago in a in a psychedelic um, plant medicine experience we had, and he said, "Hey, man, there's, you know, I was molested as a kid, and um, he then, you know, did that to somebody else, and it's like, you know, those things." Um, unfortunately he was a kid he was like seven like he didn't know any different and he lived with this guilt and shame like if anyone ever knew this secret about me i'm ruined and like we just loved on him dude we're just like dude come here like you're innocent you know like and like we're able to and he finally he was able to like get healing from it wow. and get the help and um and talk about those things like that dude his whole life felt like a piece of shit because of what had happened and what happened to him and he was seven when he made the you know error but like he, he was innocent, he was a kid, he didn't even know. It was just, he didn't even know that's what it was at the moment, but he's played this game in his head for years of how terrible he is and this self-loathing instead of self-love. And so to be able to just like love in that space, all of a sudden as an adult, he can go heal the boy and go back and talk about it. And, uh, and now he shows up so differently in life in every way, shape and form, which is really beautiful. Yeah, you see a total change, huh? Oh, like literally night and day, his self-confidence, his self-love, the way that he, is able to love his wife and children and things like that. It's just night and day difference. Thanks for sharing that about your father. To be honest, uh, as you say these things, it makes me think of, you know, falling into this role with my children. And, you know, it's easy to say, suck it up. And uh, it feels natural because this is the the line of delivery we come from. But, uh, you know, maybe I need to be a little more questionative and 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 let them express what or why they're fearful of or what or why is, I think is one of the, going on with them or wrong you know what i mean i think one of the best questions you can ask them when i learned this through coaching and that is how did that make you feel it's just a question yeah. that we did like my dad when he was saying this stuff I said dad how did that make you feel and you know he's never been asked that he's never been able to actually and he's like and his, he's got to stop and think about it. I mean, he was sure he's healing here. in real time. I mean, I'm wow. like watching because he's like, for the first time, he's like, yeah. I was like, dad, do you see why maybe, um, what, you know, what, what, what are the gifts in that? Maybe what's another angle to look at that from? Like, what was, what was the good that came out of that? And you start asking these different questions and all of a sudden his entire paradigm is shifting in real time about some of these past things that have happened. It's amazing. Can you tell us a little bit of, uh, Tell us about We Are The They. It's such a great name. Um, and what what what's the backstory to that? Yeah, 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 yeah. So this is it's my tattoo here on my arm. It was the first tattoo I ever got. I was a I was a very against tattoos guy. I mean, uh -huh. I grew up Mormon and like you just don't do tattoos, right? That was a dead stop. Um, your body's a temple, you know. And <laughs> now I've got like five or six. But no, um, I wanted that right there because it meant so much. I and mean, what happened is about six, seven years ago, I had the opportunity to work with a group called Operation Underground Railroad. Um, later on, I got to work with another group called the Child Liberation Foundation. Basically, these organizations go undercover 
help rescue kids that are being sex trafficked. And there's this amazing man named Tim Ballard that started the foundation. And uh, he works with Tony Robbins, Lewis Howes, all these guys now. It's really, it's blown up. I think it's the largest 501c3 in the country now. Uh, oh, wow. O-U-R, oh, oh, yeah. They've rescued thousands and thousands of kids and stuff. But I, early on when they first launched, I had a chance to hear about, I think it was their first op they did. Um, I heard one of the speakers, a guy named Paul, who later became one of my best friends. But, and I just was like, I gotta be a part of this. And so I went, tried to figure out how to get in, took some training, donated some money, did everything I could to be a part of this organization. Eventually they let me go on some ops. And I think it was the third or fourth time I ever went undercover with them. It was in Latin America. And uh, we went and did this rescue. And it was a really dangerous one. The guy was straight evil. He had an organization around him. I mean, he had a perimeter set. These guys had guns. If any moment they Felt. thought we were there for any reason than what we were, like if they knew, like we were dead. And uh, I'm speaking Spanish because I learned that on my Mormon mission to Mexico. So I'm the one negotiating for like 15, 20 minutes with this guy. And long story short, we set up the sting, go back, we do the takedown, got the girls out, they got arrested. And it was a really dangerous one though. It was probably our most dangerous one. And on the way home from the airport after this happened, uh, um, you know, the girls date and pick me up and, uh, and we're driving and she pulls over at some point as I'm telling her the story, and she's like, dude, like, I don't want you to do this anymore. And I was like, what are you talking about? Did you not just hear what I just said? We just did this rescue. And she goes, I know, but it's a terrible environment. And, you know, it's, uh, it's, uh, you know, it's just really dangerous. Like, why can't they just go do it? And without even thinking, um, I just said, well, there is no they. We are the they. And when I said it, I was like, oh, my gosh. It, like, shot shivers down my spine. I'm like, we are the they. I was like, oh, that's good. And it's just the whole principle, right, yeah. is everybody's like, oh, they need to do something about this or they should fix this. It's like, well, no, there is no they. Like, if you want something to change, be the person that goes and does it. We yes. are the they. Yeah. And so that's the whole premise. So as soon as I said that, I'd from that day forward, I wanted to do something with that motto. I was like, man, someone's going to steal this and it's too good. But it was like my story. So, it was yeah. like, you know. Um, so when I launched my men's group, that became the perfect name. Yeah, for it. Brilliant. Um, that's heavy. Uh, we got into that really fast, and it like, <laughs> yeah. kind of unraveled with that story. But uh, yeah. going back a little bit, um, I heard some pretty, you know, dangerous words: operation, uh, Mexico, sex trafficking, uh, bringing bringing down bad guys, basically, yeah. and uh, uh, that's a lot, right? Yeah, man, it was what, pretty, uh, it was pretty crazy. Yeah, what what inside of you made you just you know I'm sure you understood from from what these people did. I mean, I'm sure you didn't know how deep it was, but like what in you said that I need to go be help and that. be a part of this. And uh, yeah, I mean, the first time I heard about it, um, it literally just immediately I was like, oh my gosh, what a like I I didn't made this list of goals of things I want to do in my life. And one of them was to save a life just on like next to own a penguin and go to the moon was like save a life, you know, <laughs> yeah. my bucket list for life. I remember sitting there and just being like, wow, like what a way to live life. You know, we, we get so caught up in dumb shit like real estate all day and podcasting and things that really on a grand scale, it's really hard to really justify that we're making this giant difference. And granted, it's the little decisions every day that make the big difference. But I was like, what if I could go do something like that and really be a part of something huge? And um, and I'm kind of an adventurer. I would love to put myself out there. Like they needed guys that spoke Spanish. And I honestly thought to myself, I said, I'm single. I'm pretty well off financially. I have the time. I have the money to donate. Um, I have the network to bring in other amazing people that could be a part of this. I said, if not me, then who, you know, was kind of what I said at the time. And, and so that's why I, I knew I wanted to be a part of it. I knew I had to experience this. I'm a guy that I want to, I want to experience all that life can. And, and so I just really worked hard to just be a part of it. I just, and I thought originally I was probably just go do it once and, you know, say I did it kind of thing. But I mean, geez, you see it and you go and you see, and I just wanted to be a part of that more and more. And I haven't done it for about three years now. I kind of moved on from that too, just to kind of work on my men's group and some of these other things. But man, I'm so grateful that, you know, those original ops, those original stings, they weren't perfect. Um, there's been a lot of criticism in the news for the way they went about it, but I was there. And I can tell you this, the intent was pure. The purpose was pure. We needed to tell the message, tell the story. And so those original ops, like you're not going to change the problem by doing one off, 
operations. You just won't. There's only so many kids that you can rescue and it's such a large problem. That being said, what it did is it brought the light to this darkness. It put a spotlight on the problem. And so I'm really proud that those original ops were able to highlight the issue. And then now they've been able to take it and, you know, it's much more organized now and it's much more, um, like all the people now that go and do the ops work for the organization. And we were just, I mean, I just got to play James Bond on the weekend, if I'm being honest, man, it was pretty wild. But the skill that I had that they needed was the ability to just go in and network and talk. I mean, you gotta go find these traffickers. You gotta be able to, you know, talk and-, and well, So that's a good question. How do you, you show up in Mexico? And uh, I don't like to say which country, but sure, Mexico is Mexico, one of them. Mexico, Brazil, yeah, 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 wherever. Yeah, Latin America. I Latin say. America. Yeah. Um, and- These guys might get out one day. Yeah, <laughs> we're sorry. We'll, we'll, no, we'll no, no, no. You don't need to edit it. It's uh, fine. I talk about it. Um, now what? Yeah. So you go down there and you, I mean, you find them and um, and you just. We had to first make sure that they actually were trafficking kids because a lot of people would say they were, but they were actually eighteen or nineteen or whatever. And so um, we had to get a visual, and so we basically would say, "Look, you know, our boss wants to make sure that." He has the right product, so you need to bring him so we can see him. And once we had a vision, we had like undercover cameras on us and stuff. And uh, once we got the visuals, we would work with the federalities, the poli the federal police of whatever country we were in, and they would start running. We and it was cool. Like we were just really good. So because we fit the profile, white, rich, American, goofball guy, right? Um, made it easier. It made it really easy to get the information. Yeah. So I remember one op, we got this information in like one night. We got all their emails, all their social medias, all of their WhatsApps, all their information. And the federal police guy was like, you payasos, which is Spanish for clowns. He's like, you payasos got us more information in 14 hours than we got in two years. And they were able to tap, you know, tap every phone, get their whole organization, figure out everybody who is who. They followed them for two weeks. So by the time we arrested them, there was another 20 people arrested as part of this organization and just be able to get all the information they needed. And so that was kind of what it was. But, you know, one of the cool things about OUR that I really like is they put a ton of attention and detail into the uh, repair work, um, the aftercare. And so they wouldn't ever even go do an op if they didn't have all this aftercare set up for the girls. Yeah. And so there's a lot going into the aftercare side of things, which is really cool to try to rehabilitate them once they do the rescues. Um, what does that look like? Cause I know people hear child trafficking or sex trafficking. And, uh, I think that maybe the public's view of like, uh, like people, is that people in cages? Is it, uh, is it, you know, not so sinister. Is it like, no, I'm glad you asked that question to, because yeah, yeah, well, it's a very broad topic and I, I guess I can sum it up this way. There's, there's like your evil guys, which are the ones I just explained. They have an organization around it. Um, um, they're raping the kids so that they lose their self-worth. They're kidnapping on occasion, but more often than not, what you see a lot of times, um, you know, it's somebody's trafficking, their neighbor's kid or their nephew or niece or their child even sometimes that happens a lot um these people live at home a lot of times the kid it's not somebody that just my kid was lost and we see the posters and and that type of scenario i mean like, that happens too I'm but sure. it's not as you know more so what it is is uh, well i'll give you an example one of the people that we took down she was an eighth grade school teacher okay oh and she was using her position in school she would tell the girls hey, um, we're gonna have a party. I'll pay you 20 bucks if you wanna come to the party just to hang out. And they're like, ah, oh, we wanna come to a party. And they come, next thing they know, these guys are taking advantage of them, basically raping them. And um, from there, they say, if you say anything, we're gonna tell your parents what you've done, you know? And so we, we know this because when they tapped their phones, they recorded those conversations where the kids were like, hey, we, we really don't wanna come, please. Like they're begging not to have to go do it again. And the guys are like, no, you're coming or we're, you know, we're going to be killing your brother. We're going to tell your parents or whatever that gotcha. looks like. So we were able to arrest that eighth grade teacher, which was one of my favorite takes takedowns because how many kids did we save or rescue that never got into this, that never had to be rehabilitated because we took her off the street. She had right? an endless but that's what it usually looks like. Those kids lived at home. Those kids yeah. lived with their parents. A lot of times that's what it looks like. A lot of times. Um, a girl will get a, this is what the whole push was against Andrew Tate. They said, no, he wasn't directly trafficking women. This is what they you know, the, the argument against him is, but he was getting these women in these positions where they were then 
um, had lost their self. It was like indirectly they would lose all of that self-worth and they were kind of um, at that point unable to work for themselves or to be able to focus. They're like they had almost like he was pimping them out. And so that was what the, that was what the arrest was all about with him. But a lot of times what you see is, you know, a girl is being taken advantage of by a boyfriend. You know, they call it, that's what they were, you know, they, I think he was on a podcast where he said, yeah, I would just have my girlfriend do the videos or whatever. And that's where they kind of associated this. But, but that's so what'll happen is a guy will start dating a younger girl, um, say like a 19 year old, an 18 year old guy, and she's 14, 13, 12, 15, whatever it might be. And, you know, treats her really well, but then says, hey, I need you to do this for me. Pimps her out next thing you know she's in this world where she's like emotionally attached to this guy um but being trafficked on the side and so that's what you see a lot because here's the problem with trafficking humans is like drug trafficking well once i sell the product product's gone drug trafficking you have to keep producing more product right well with sex trafficking they can use the same person as product 20 30 times a day hundreds of times a year, thousands of times a year. And so that's where trafficking becomes a real issue. That's, that's super heavy. And uh, I think that we need to, this is another cue for us as parents that, you know, being open and in a safe space, this goes back into your group with the men and with women and, and people in general that uh, a lot of this wouldn't exist if there was an open flow of communication and people weren't scared or uh, embarrassed or were just open about what other people are doing or how they're feeling about it themselves. Um, yeah, I mean, if your kid thinks he's going to get in trouble because he slept with somebody. I know what it's like as a child. Yeah, to you think you're going like, to be busted hey, by your parents. I don't necessarily want to tell my mom this because <laughs> I'm not trying to get yelled at or something. You know, so it's a eye opener for me having, you know, young kids and a, a 20 year old daughter myself that like sometimes being a little hard on them or going to that old school parenting type of uh, a thing is we're not doing ourselves a service you know we're, we're just closing them up and making them not want to share things with us in a, in a safe space you know so yeah exactly right thank you I'm gonna definitely work on that with my with mine and uh, that's a big takeaway I had with all this too is you know you have you don't you still want to be a parent you don't be their best friend but you have to create a space that's safe where they want to come talk to you about anything that's going on yeah you know and if they feel like they're getting shut down if you don't hold space for it even if you if you shame them for it or if you punish them for it they, good luck they're not telling you anything ever again and so that you know everything becomes that much more difficult for that kid yeah we gotta we gotta learn how to to, to share in a safe way. calm way yeah can you tell us a little bit about your uh you grew up in utah um, your father ran a ranch, obviously, in a very cold place. Yeah, very before hard. I was born. But yeah. Yes. Yeah, yeah. But uh, um, you talked about going on a mission. So you've done all of these uh, these amazing things in your life, but it's out of character for the the life path that you were on early on. You know. So what was the uh, what was the turning point that you decided to, you know do things a little differently than the people that came before you yeah like basically leave the religion i was born into yeah i mean for lack of a better word sure yeah. uh you know to be honest i've always for whatever reason i've always been on this path where i've been trying to become the best version of myself and in that there's a lot of curiosity there's a lot of um experimentation just you know um i've read hundreds and hundreds of books i've been to every conference and seminar out there and, you know, it's funny because I grew up, I mean, for me, that religion that I was born into um, was everything. I mean, it wasn't, I wasn't like part in, like I was all in. I was a virgin into my 30s. I had my first drink of alcohol at 34. Like I did the damn thing. You know yeah. what I mean? It was, it was not lip service. And what happened for me ultimately is I got to a point where I felt like I'd stopped progressing. And at that moment, I was like, hey, I've never actually really looked at this. And so I spent 800, 900 hours just researching and trying to figure out what I did believe, what I didn't, what was really my beliefs like. And ultimately, as sure as I was that that was everything, I was that sure that it wasn't. And so that kind of leaves you in this weird place where you're trying to find your purpose and figure out what's what you're going to do with your life. But for me, it was it was really hard. I, I was really I wanted it to be true. Like I wanted my, you know, what, just, what in what what regard? What what do you what do you mean by 
you wanted it to be true? What? Um, so like the, the teachings of the, the teachings? church. Well, I mean, if it's true, when I say it's true, they believe they're the only true church on the earth. So mm-hmm. it's them or nothing kind of thing, right? And so it seems like a common theme with 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 religion. It seems a little bit like... Well, if you want to keep people involved, you can't really say you got multiple options. You kind of have to be yeah. the only game in town, right? I think that's where that comes from. Okay. Um, which is the exact opposite of what I believe now. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so it, yeah, I mean, most religions, I mean, it's their way or that. I mean, in Muslim, if you leave, I mean, Islam, good luck. Like, don't go back to wherever you were. Like, you know, you'll literally, I mean, you can be killed, like, for sure. Um, you know, Jews, they believe it's them or nothing i mean pretty much every religion believes that in some aspect you got some of the more open religions nowadays i guess but but so ultimately what you know when you believe that when you know where you're from why you're here where you're going what's right what's wrong um it doesn't leave a whole lot of nuance to discovery and trying to you know yeah. really dig into the mysteries of the of the earth you feel like you already know everything and the best way i can explain it it's like you have a map in front of you and you're like oh i see everything it's right here on the map and you think you see the whole map because you're just zoomed in and then all of a sudden somebody goes, yo, back up a little bit off the map. And you look and the map's a hundred times bigger than you thought. You're like, oh shit, there's a lot more here than I was willing to look at. And so for me, I think that was, you know, um, if this wasn't the only way to live, it just opens up all these questions. of like, okay, well, what is the purpose of life? Why, what is the meaning of my life? Why am I here? And you know, it, it for me, it was a lot of self-exploration. I went and I spent a week at a Tony Robbins event date with Destiny, which was beautiful because you spend a week figuring out your life's purpose. And I was able to figure out all these different things. For me, you know, it's like, okay, if this isn't, if, and it's really cool because all of a sudden your whole life isn't mapped out for you. All of a sudden you have options and all these different things. And I like not knowing all the answers. I like having that nuance where I, shit, I don't know. I'm just kind of winging it out here. I'm trying to figure stuff out, you know? And then you have the right to change your mind if you get new information. It's like, I think one of the biggest mistakes we have is people that refuse to be able to admit like, hey, maybe I didn't have all the answers, you know? And because I was so sure I had all the answers before, now everything I say, I'm like, and I reserve the right to change my mind anytime because I don't know if this is going to be the right thing. But so it was really cool. I went through that process and I came up with a life purpose, which is the purpose of my life is to share my tremendous love with all of God's children, bringing happiness to others through my playful soul and by being an example of living an extraordinary life. And that became the guiding principle for my life now. So everything I do, I run through that lens. And if I'm ever feel like I'm a little bit out of alliance um, alignment, I can look at my purpose and realize, okay, I'm either not loving, I'm not being playful, or I'm just not living it up, you know, my extraordinary life. And so I get to check myself and get back into alignment. Yeah, I think that uh, it's it's a great lens to be looking at things through, obviously. Um, and uh, I mean, you're quite a committed person to have gone, I mean, to be celibate for the majority of your life. Um, to You were passionate about your belief in the church. And that's why I was interested in hearing you divulge on what changed because it's a... It's a commitment. That lifestyle is a commitment. Um, and uh, I guess if it, that's what's in front of you in the moment, you can just follow that path and one foot in front of the other. Yeah, and you um, don't really know anything different, too. So it's kind of like, you yeah. know, for me, it wasn't, I don't remember being, I wasn't like unhappy when I was doing that. Yeah. But I also, something in my felt soul like felt wrong. Like I wasn't being authentically yeah. me. Um, what is it like being on a mission um and preaching the word basically or like you know can you explain to people that aren't familiar with like with that process like yeah yeah it's kind of fascinating you know you see the little missionaries walking around with the white shirts and yeah, the black name tags the guys and bikes and they, you know what I yeah mean? yeah so yeah so when you turn 19 it's 18 now when i went it was 19 um basically you turn in some paperwork let them know what you know who you are and they tell you where you're going to spend the next two years you don't get to pick and so you get this letter in the mail. The church. The church does, yeah. Okay. yeah. Mine was Monterey, Mexico. It was like, okay. Who pays for this? Uh, you pay for your own mission. Okay. Yeah, so you pay your own way. That's part of it. And it's part of what makes it beautiful, to be honest, because if you're not paying for something, you just never appreciate it the same, right? And so, yeah, you... This is rite of passage. It's like, it's... it's you have to be, quote unquote, worthy to go. So okay. you can't have been... Like, if you've been committing any major sins, like stealing or... If, 
you have a problem with like like sexual things or anything like that, they're not going to let you go. Gotcha. Um, yeah, you have to be worthy. They want the church to be represented in the right way. Yeah. yeah or in yeah. their way. Yeah, so you get interviewed multiple times and, you know, you have to tell them or whatever. And a lot of times missionaries will end up coming home because they lied in their interview because there's a lot of social pressure for parents and families and things. Um, but yeah, so I went out. Uh, you spend two months in like a training center learning Spanish and just, you know, building your... Um, learning more about the church, to be honest, just all the things that you're going to teach. And so then they send you out. I remember my first day getting there in Mexico, man. I mean, the guy that picked me up, my companion. So you spend all your time with one other dude 24 seven at your hip. And uh, he didn't speak English, not a lick. The only English he knew, he knew the stupid song, Barbie girl. He tried to sing that (laughs) shit all day, dude. It was so bad. But anyway, I remember he picked me up. Where was he from? Uh, Oaxaca, Mexico. And so, or no, he was from Puebla. Sorry, he was from Puebla, but yeah. But he was thing. part of the church. He was, yeah. So yeah, your companion's another missionary. So gotcha. he's another, he's a 20 year old kid. He's been out in the mission for a year. Is so, there a big, uh, is there a big uh, uh, Mormon uh, like population in, in Mexico? There is, um, it's, nobody really knows the real number because they give these numbers, but so many of the people that get baptized and they just never go again. So it's like who really is or isn't it's, but there's several hundred thousand, yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah. But yeah, so we're there. I mean, I remember we were out in the boonies, dude. We had dirt floors. It was January, in which, by the way, even in Mexico, January is freezing. It's a desert. And I remember being cold with this dirt floor and this guy that doesn't speak any Spanish or English. I don't speak very good Spanish. I'm like, I'm going to die. I'm going to die out here. And uh, dude, you just freaking deal with it. I remember my second day on the mission, our mission president came up to give interviews. He happened to be in our area and he would come once a month for this little interview. He's like, how you doing, Elder, you know? And I was like, well, I thought I'd be honest. I'm like, ah, honestly, not that good. And I'm like, I don't speak Spanish. He doesn't speak English. Like, kind of miss home. And he freaking, he was a military guy, and he slams his desk. And he's like, damn it, Elder Rex, I don't want any sissies in my mission. You don't feel good? Go to work. You don't like being here? Go to work. You miss your family? Go to work. Now get out of my office. Go work. And I'm like, and thankfully, I had hard, <laughs> I had hard-ass baseball coaches. So I was like, and my dad was a little bit that way. So I was like, I guess I'm going to work, you know, (laughs) which was like the best advice ever for me, because honestly, I got lost in the work and you know, what is the work? Um, so all day long. So every day you wake up at six, six 30, uh, you study your scriptures for a half hour. You study with your companion for a half hour, get ready for the day, do a little bit of quick exercise. And then by eight 39, you're out the door. This was my mission. They're all very, but pretty much the same. Um, then you literally go knock doors all day, like just randomly knock doors, ask people about Jesus and Joseph Smith and the whole thing, you know, and then, um, I was pretty good at it. And so you find people that want you to come back. So you teach them more discussions and more. And so you have appointments all day and whenever we didn't have appointments and then we have a lunch appointment with one of the members every day. And then, so you would eat it like one and then from one to two, and then you were back on the doors till nine at night. And then we had a hard stop you had to be in the house at 9 30 asleep by 10 30 and i did that i didn't miss that schedule every day for two years wow like i think i was only late one time like i never slept in once i mean it was crazy like you get disciplined that's what's the beauty of it is the training for life i mean i learned how to get up i learned how to get along with people i had to be with i learned how to talk to strangers i learned about rejection and denial i learned I mean, I didn't even speak their language and I'm out there trying to like get their attention, you know? And so there's all these life skills. And that's why I speak so highly of my time as a missionary because there's nothing else like it to prepare you for life, man. Sure it was touch you how to sell. Oh dude, a hundred percent. It was funny. After I got back from my mission, I was selling steak and chicken door to door. And I remember like all the guys bitching that they had to, you know, sell like six hours a day. And I was like, are you kidding me? We only have to do this for six hours a day. <laughs> I've been going 11 hours hard every day, you know, like this was like, and I was the number one guy by far because I found everyone else was going home and sleep. And I was the only guy on the doors for more than a few hours a day. Do you feel like, uh, uh, is religion in that setting a tough sell? Oh yeah. I mean, I mean, when you're selling Jesus, you know, the people in Mexico were pretty generous. Like they're pretty nice. Very, very, uh, and they're, they're very open to Jesus because they're all, yeah, yeah, yeah. So I had friends in Australia that would go four months in between two discussions. I was given 12 to 15 on average per day. Okay. I mean, I was most days, our average discussion was a half hour and I was literally given 12 to 15 a day. I mean, it was all day long. Now, I was really good at getting in the doors just because I had a good energy and I was excited about it. And I mean, I can speak, you know, but like uh, there was missionaries if they couldn't get people in. In fact, my president, he'd send me with them for a day. They'd be like, my, my area sucks. No one lets us in. 
I'd go there and we'd crush it. 13 appointments, 14 appointments, like no wow. problem, you know, because people, I mean, one of the problems, bless these kids' hearts, but a lot of them, they're just not qualified to be out there. I mean, they're timid and they don't know how to talk and they don't know how to do anything. I just had fun with it. My theory was, I think these people are gonna be so bored that if I show up at their house with just enough energy, they're gonna be like, I don't know what the hell this kid has to talk about, but he sure as shit seems excited about it, so I might as well listen to him for a minute, you know? And I could get in, honestly, almost every door. It was wow. it was pretty. So you didn't get that many doors slammed in your face. No, I I mean in Mexico they're pretty generous. They're pretty nice, you know. Um, any uh any funny or like mishap stories just being on the road on a bike in Mexico in a strange place? Oh yeah, dude. Well, the dogs would chase you. They were the worst. They're hairless, just diseased, just crazy. And they'd chase you everywhere. I remember one time my comp running and he was like looking backwards and a dog just plowed into his bike and just turfed it you know i got hit by a car that was kind of crazy i was just standing there hitching a ride on the corner all of a sudden i got drilled and i mean i'm bleeding all over the place and it didn't hurt hurt like i turned enough i kind of had a nice but i mean i was pretty cut up wow. and we went to our next appointment i mean i'm literally bleeding like all <laughs> over and they're just like um are you good and I'm like, yeah good i got hit by a car but you know people got to get the message uh my comp one time god bless me like i had this i was the senior companion at that point and uh I, when I left the house during the day, we'd walk about a mile to our area. And so I just had a rule. I don't go back. Like I was a worker. I mean, if I took an hour off, I felt guilty truly. And so we'd go to the area and I remember I had this new companion and the first day back, he goes, Hey, I gotta go back to the house. I mean, going there and back is like a two and a half hour, like missing appointments, you know? And I was like, dude, what do you mean? You gotta go back. He's like, I go back to the house. I'm like, it's my first day. So I'm like, all right, well, just so you know, in the future, we don't go back to the house. Let's go back to the house. We get there and I'm like, well, why'd you have to come back to the house? He goes, oh, I need my sunglasses. And I'm like, I'm ready to fight somebody, you know, and this dude just made us lose two and a half hours of work. So the next day he's like, Hey, I gotta go back to the house. And uh, he's like, I go to the bathroom. I'm like, well, we're not going back to the house. So let's get in a house and you can just use their bathroom. We did that all day. I mean, just, you know, as you're teaching appointments, he said, no, I gotta go back now. And I'm like, no, we're gonna, <laughs> we're gonna knock doors. And so we like knock another door and we didn't get in. We knock another door, no one answered. And he's like, hey, I gotta go now. And I was like, dude, we'll get in the house. Like it was pretty quick. We could usually get in the house. And he stayed at the gate, like like the little half gate by the door. And I went to the door and I turned around and I go, Elder, come on. And I turn around and he's peed himself like all over the front of him. <laughs> and I felt so bad. I'm just like, and he's like a newer missionary. I'm like, let's go to the house. Oh, <laughs> so man, I just pretended kid. like I didn't even realize it. And oh my gosh, I felt so bad. But that was kind of, I mean, you have crazy things happening every day. We had people throw rocks at us, you know, and um, we'd have, but honestly, nothing too crazy. I mean, most of the crazy stuff was just fun. And you're just, yeah. you're 19 years old, you're 20 years old. You know, girls, you've never had girls flirt on you with you like that, because like if they could score with a missionary, I mean, that's like every girl's fantasy, you know, um, there's plenty of missionaries that get in trouble with that because they've never really. Been, oh, yeah. I mean, think about it. They've never a lot of the guys are pretty nerdy. You know, yeah. they've never had girls give them the night a day. You know, all of a sudden they have these hot chicks like all about them, you know, and uh, I got moved in the middle of the night. I got a call once. You're not supposed to get transferred as every six months or every six weeks. We had an emergency transfer. I got a call in the middle of the night. They're like, other oh, X, we need you in Monterey tomorrow. Um, emergency transfer. And I got there and found out that this total nerd missionary from like Vermont or something uh, had been making out with one of the girls in the area and got caught. It was a ward member girl and uh, it was bad news, you know? And so they had so to- So did you get immediately sent home? Not always. Um, depends on if you sleep with them or just make out with them, I think. It depends on the president. depends on who it was. I mean, there's a lot of factors, but it's definitely hugely frowned upon. Yeah, I mean, you get in trouble for watching TV. So, I mean, you oh, can imagine. You can't even know electronics, TV. right? No. Well, now they have cell phones, I've heard. But when I went, oh, no. I mean, we didn't even get to use email, dude. It was like, write a letter, hear back in three months. I mean, it was like. To family and friends. Uh -huh. Wow. <laughs> if you want to, I mean, That's a by lot the of time commitment. I sent a letter to my brother in the Philippines or my buddy in France and got one back from Mexico to there, I mean, it was three, four months. You know, so it was, yeah, you're just, you're just out there. But it's actually beautiful because dude, I didn't have a phone, didn't have any communication with my family, didn't know what was going on with the world. Um, missing no out on baseball was always hard, you know? Yeah. Um, I was there in 2001, we were at a member's house and uh, I knew they liked baseball. I knew it was the World Series time, so I kind of had stopped by a little extra just to get updated because we couldn't watch TV. And 9-11 had just happened, so it was like yeah. there was a little bit of people trying to you know, tell us what was going on a lot. And uh, I remember it was game six, 
Schilling versus Clemens. Sorry, game seven, Schilling versus Clemens for to take it all. Diamondbacks, Yankees. I'm like, oh my gosh, I have to watch this game. And uh, I'd been the best mission. I was 100% obedient. So I'm like, I'm not missing this game. And so we went to that house and it was quick game. They were both dealing and it got to like 1-1 in the eighth and we were going to miss curfew, but I'd never missed curfew. So it was like, shit. And so I left and I told the little member kid, I'm like, hey, run to my house later. It was like a mile away. I'm like, tell me who won. He's like, okay. And so I go home and on the way home, there was like a little store and he had a TV going and I just peek in and Alfonso Soriano had hit a home run. So the Yankees are up 2-1. They got Mariano Rivera coming in. I'm like, oh, this game's over. So I like, go to bed and like hour later, this little kid, he's like, oh, the ranks, hey, hey. I'm all, who won, who won? He's like, los, los Diamondbacks. I'm like, no, no, the Yankees won. He's like, no, Los Diamondbacks. Uh. <laughs> told me, you know. So that was uh, like the saddest part is the one game of TV I watched I didn't even stay long enough to watch the epic ending. Wow. I know. It's my biggest That's regret. I was committed, dude. Yeah. yeah, it wasn't lip service. I was like, I was in. Do they like, do you have to check in when you get, or is it just like a personal break curfew type of deal? Is there somebody um, checking to make sure that No, it's personal. Point? I mean, yeah. if you're doing it a lot, your companion's going to tell on you, you know? Yeah. Um, I told on myself on that one. So yeah. I told the mission president next time I talked to him, you know, I'm like, hey, here's what I did. He just, he literally laughed. I mean, I was the highest baptizing missionary. I was 100% obedient. Everybody knew I was like all in on this thing. Yeah. He just started laughing. He said, I remember he said, oh, Elder Rex, if I only had 200 just like you, you yeah. know? I mean, it was like known. But dude, it's fond memories, man. You just, that's where I became a man. Like you just grow, yeah. you know? And so, yeah. Was it, let me ask this now. So leaving the church, what was that like? Um, I mean, it, did it create hardships with family and friends and this, you know, this life that you had created before? Because is it, is it like, you know, you yeah, left no, and they turn their back on you or is it they look down or... So a couple things. So I'll say this. The church does a really good job of making it really hard to leave, <laughs> like to keep your dignity with people that you're that are still in, right? Um, I had a goal when I left. Once I figured out, okay, this is... I'm going to have to do something else. Um, I remember what it was like when people left. You worry about them. You think they're going off the deep end. You think they're lost, right? And so I said, I want to be cognizant of that with people that love me. And so I had a couple things. I said, my goal is to not lose one friend over leaving. And so for the first two years, I actually didn't tell anyone. I just stopped going. I t took off my you know, magic underwear that they talk about with Mitt Romney and everything. They call your garments. And I was just doing my thing. And um, to be honest, like a lot of people, and even one of my sisters was like, hey, you seem so much happier. Like, what are you doing? And then I started kind of telling people. And I'll say this, I didn't lose a single friend over the church for the first five or six years I was out. And then, you know, I discovered plant medicine and it helped me a lot in my life. And I started talking vocally about that. Um, and a lot, I definitely had pushback from that. That was when people was like, okay, he's dangerous. He's talking about doing drugs and that I got a lot of kickback and I lost some friends and some close relationships over that. But I will say like, they were pretty awesome. Both my family and friends, like when I left, I didn't lose a single friend over leaving the church. I lost friends over talking about doing plant medicine, but not over leaving the church. I'm a, you know, plant medicine is something that is, is uh, becoming more common in our space yeah, these yeah. days, but uh, obviously still is super taboo, especially in, and not only in a religious setting, obviously it's, it's super frowned upon, but, uh, in life setting from our parents' generations of, you know, the, the, the dirty hippies or the, this or that, and the psychedelics and all of the bad, the psychosis type of effects and things. But, yeah. um, the medical studies and the clinical things that they're doing with them these days is, is, is really coming out that maybe these things are really the opposite and can help people deal with, uh, you know, PTSD and, and, precursors to well, some yeah, of these things. I think it's like, even with going undercover, I had to learn how to talk about it in a way that people wanted to listen, right? And I was a little bit overexcited because it's my experience. And yeah. I think early on with plant medicine, I was probably a little bit too excited when I talked about it because it was like, I wanted to, people to know how beautiful this had been for me. And I probably was a little reckless because I think it is one of those spaces that really needs to be respected. But even more than the studies and all that, like I was in the room, I'm watching these guys that have been suicidal or have had depression, like overcoming it because of plant medicine. I'm watching them dig through their trauma and be able to heal it. Um, I actually got a video two days ago, one of my closest buddies, he did his first psychedelic experience six months ago. 
um, because he said, dude, after watching you and listening to you, I, I wanted to try it. Changed his life, like totally life changed. He said it was the most beautiful moment of his life. Well, he was at a conference about a month ago with one of his closest buddies, who's actually like a big time speaker and influencer. He said, hey man, he, he, the influencer had kind of opened up to him and said, hey, my daughter is like super depressed. She tried to kill herself. She's in high school, tried to kill herself. And he said, hey, take it for what it is, but I want to tell you about something. I had this experience with plant medicine. This is this shaman facilitator lady I work with. He said, you might want to try it for your daughter. And uh, he just sent me the video from that guy telling him about this. His daughter went and did it. And the dude's in the video and he's a tough guy and he's bawling. And he's like, I can't thank you enough. You having the courage and the vulnerability to talk about your experience. My daughter went and did it. And um, he's just bawling. He goes, I got my daughter back. She wants to keep living. Like she wow. completely worked through these traumas and this depression she had. And so like, I hear that, like I get a little bit of chills because I've had a lot of kickback. I've had a few brothers that are pretty against me speaking out about it. And I get it because their kids look up to me and I need to be more cognizant of them as well. But then I'm like, God, if I never spoke up about it, this dude doesn't get it. This person doesn't, his daughter doesn't get it. And so I do know that hundreds of people have benefited from me coming out and talking about it. Um, but it's a tricky subject, man. If you have never experienced it, you can't know what it's about. And you don't, yeah. you know, and it does have the good with the bad, like anything, you know, like everything has, I mean, you were in the weed business. Like if you only smoke weed all day and it is at the expense of you going and doing what you're supposed to be doing, like it's bad. But also I've dated a girl that had seizures and if she went one day without having marijuana, she freaking had a nip shit seizure. Yeah, yeah, I watched once one. It was the scariest thing I've ever seen. Her it's, knees are clanking, her jaws clanking, the whole thing. Yeah. It's, so it's, it's these tough. things are beautiful for what they are, right? And so I don't know. I've kind of decided like everybody knows now. I've had enough people on my podcast or I've talked about this enough where people know how to find it. They know how to get the help from it. I don't need to be the face of it, which I kind of was for a little bit in Utah trying to legalize it. Cause I do want to like respect the people in my world that don't want their kids, you know, and if, dude, if you come from like a background where you've never experimented with any of this stuff, you might as well, I might as well be talking about doing heroin. Like to them, it's the same shit, you know, and it's just so different, but it is what it is. Their kids see it that way. So it, it's fine. I, I understand that. But man, dude, to get a, a message like that from my buddy the other day, you know, just validated like why I, I know my heart. I know I've been speaking out about these things and it really is beautiful and, and life saving, life changing. Yeah, I think that uh, with purpose, like plant medicine done with purpose is is a very uh, eye-opening, you know, life-changing experience for people. Yeah, well, yeah. I mean, you got Coachella going on this weekend, right? There's gonna be a lot of people doing it without purpose. They're gonna probably regret a lot of the decisions they make. <laughs> so that is the other side of it, you know? It can humble you very fast <laughs> yes. because it is a very powerful thing. And when I tell people that you need to have the right mindset going in, because if you're not in a, a good headspace or in a safe space, it's only going to make it way worse. Oh, yeah. It'll get real heavy real quick, right? Yeah. Well, part of what was hard for me is I took so much pride in making sure people had the right setting, right set, set and setting, right? Right mindset going in. And so, like, I just, I always honored it. So I was speaking so openly about it because, like, I knew how much I respected it. But then you do hear about these stories where people aren't respecting it and they have a bad experience. And it's like, if you have a bad first experience, you might not ever come back. And so I hate it when I hear people having those experiences because I'm like, oh, they just didn't, they weren't set up to win. You know, somebody kind of fucked them over in that moment because they didn't have a beautiful experience. Yeah, it's, it's tough. Uh, uh, you know, edible cannabis can be like a super powerful dose. It's super psychoactive when it's, when it's ingested. And so I always hate like somebody having a really bad, a bad experience with getting overdosed basically or taking too much <laughs> to of a, of a, <laughs> of edible cannabis because it can turn them off to something that that is very helpful and can can be very a very good thing for the foreseeable future right because it's heavy it's it's when i have too much i'm not a big uh you know edible intake person but uh i have been there before where i'm like you know this is not fun yeah it's I had something a... you can't shut off so it's it's a lot so i do yeah. i do stay on the side of like you know responsible dosing in those situations so i don't want to have anybody have a bad you know they trust you to open up and do something and then and then have a bad experience yeah you get it you want like, people to get it done the right way yeah and to use it 
safely in a in an educated space and, and and get a good benefit from it agreed yeah um so uh what do you got going with the with the group like what's a what's a short long-term goal with that is that your biggest uh focus in life right now yeah i mean I've, i still have my real estate team going i still have a lot of the investing stuff that i do i speak a lot probably 30 times a year i got another two no, two more books i'm working on right now so i got all that stuff going but really yeah man the impact that it has on these men you know um uh my goal is to grow this to make sure that it keeps its culture and what makes it special number one like that i don't want it to lose what makes this thing special and different um and then do you get, limit the the amount of yeah like, so each group and... has 50 guys per group and so rather than just keep adding new guys into a group you know if they get too many i've noticed this with other masterminds i've been in you get too many people it loses what makes it special you don't feel as much like a brotherhood and so i'm keeping the pockets smaller and then i just keep opening up more to those pockets and so but then also a lot of these guys that have been in the program now for a year year and a half they can help me so i have them help me lead some of these newer groups and do stuff so it can grow exponentially as people go through the program and it's a two and a half year program. Um, but we do these adventure trips. I'm taking 70 guys to run with the bulls in Spain in July. I'm wow. taking 40 dudes to go work at an orphanage in Peru and go to uh, Machu Picchu in October. Have um, you ran with bulls before? I have, but I did it in like 2004. And so it's been a long time. I don't be. How dangerous is it? Um, it's not that dangerous. I mean, you can get hurt for sure. Like if you got a group of 70, my guess is somebody's going to get a broken something, but like, or like, no, but you don't get <laughs> gored. You know what I mean? Only, I think once every 17 years on average, they have somebody die from a bull. So you got to really be unlucky to get yeah. killed. I mean, they run seven. But if you eight, get poked, it's still friggin' hurt. That's where you get like, that's what I say. Like, you know, 70 people, somebody's going to get somebody's something. What gonna usually happen. happens, the bull like chucks you and you like land funny yeah you hurt something i had a couple of buddies go last year well what happens after you run with the bulls through the alleyways you run into an arena and you get to play with the bulls and some people get tossed left and right I'm so out. yeah no i'm gonna tell my guys please i can't have you guys go to the hospital like let's take it easy with the bulls but i've hired like the i do this with everything i hired the best company and um, the day after we run with the bulls, we're going to go where they raise the bulls. And with the baby bulls, we get to actually practice the caping and all that kind of stuff. So it's going to be fun. But what do you think people uh, having this heart racing experience like what what does that what does that do to the group or the bond or, or you know? Oh, yeah, well, dude. So I had a buddy one time is when I was swimming with the tiger sharks. He's the world's foremost expert on sharks. He has he's taken more photos of different species of sharks than the other human alive. And he said, Jimmy, at the end of our lives, the quantity of life we feel like we've lived will be directly tied to the amount of amazing experiences we had. We only will only remember the amazing things that happened, the big experiences. And so try to create as many of those magical moments in your life as you can, um, because those are the things that are going to give you a full life. And so I think what it really does, though, with a group, you know, I mean, you spend four or five days together, six days together and everything you're doing together, you're having these emotional moments, these um, heightened state of moments. And you get more FaceTime with somebody than, I mean, with a friend here, you probably have close friends, both of you, that you probably haven't spent 10 full hours with in the last five years. You just don't. Yeah. You talk to them, you like go grab lunch or dinner, maybe go do something every year or so. But at the end of the day, I mean, so spending 30, 40, 60, 80 hours together with a group of guys, you just really get a lot of depth in a short amount of time. And it builds that really strong bond very quickly. Yeah, you, you know, you hit it on the head there because... Uh... I remember I went snorkeling one time in my entire life, just, uh, you know, on my honeymoon that happened before my wedding this last year. And uh, I remember the whole day and everything, the smells, the boat, the feeling, people that I'll never see again that were on the boat and things that happened. But it was one of those, like, experiences that was out of the normal for me and that you're right, you know. And, and I think that myself included, as you speak, I start to reflect, you know what I mean? And... Uh, we don't do that enough or take the time. I don't have time. I don't, I don't yeah, have that's what this. It says. I don't, like, Jimmy, where I do you can't. find the time to do this? And it's like, you just make it. You yeah. just go. You don't have the time. Um, it's never a good time to do it. It's never affordable. You just freaking do it anyway. Yeah. And I think that, uh, I, I love that name. We are the day. And, uh, I think that, you know, just helping people be their, their best self and operate in a safe, you know, uh, space with integrity and, and understanding their life, 
their goal and their passion and uh it can be you know quite the change in the world right yeah. and is that the, at the end of the day yeah that, you know about, lead yeah. out and just help men you know lead be out a different men. way yeah. yeah and that has a reverberating effect every guy that i can heal can heal hundreds and thousands that i can help heal you can you can help heal hundreds and thousands of others it's amazing um where can people find uh more about the group and uh more about yourself yeah, I mean, the best place, I post everything through my Instagram. Um, so Mr. Jimmy Rex, that's my Instagram. I share a lot of the stuff on my stories or on, um, you know, and my links are all on there. So that's probably the best place to go to follow me. Uh, so yeah, Mr. Jimmy Rex on Instagram. And uh, you have a podcast yourself. I do, yeah. It's uh, it's called The Jimmy Rex Show. We're almost 450 episodes in now. Wow. Had you Congrats. both on. And yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah man, it's uh, uh, it's amazing. And so it's fun. I mean, I've, I just interviewed Lewis Howes the other day. I've been able to, you know, meet with people like yourself that I just never would have came across. And that's the whole reason it's so fun to do. But um, so, yeah, check it out. I, it's, I take it super serious and try to get the best guess. And if there's any uh, anything you'd like to share or advice for anybody in a troubling space out there that uh you could say a couple things to yeah i think number one would be you know we think we're the only ones going through it whatever issue it is or like if anybody knew this about me but the truth is is like um there's no new problems like there's so many people suffering the same thing that you are and ultimately um you know do the things that you have to do to change and you'll see the change come which what i mean is like Depression's a real thing, but 90% of people aren't depressed. They're just not doing the right things to feel good. You know, get outside, go run, go for walks, um, do meditation, get into those things. And like, by the way, they're not easy at first. You got to push through, you got to power through and find somebody that's going to support you and your goals, um, whether it's us, like a group like mine, or if it's just a buddy or whatever it is, but find people that want to see you succeed. There's such a space for people wanting to connect. I think that's the thing that we really learned from COVID was, people need to be connected. We need to connect on a deep level. And so if you're feeling disconnected, whatever you want in life, give that away. If you want more friendship, give away friendship. If you want to, you know, more money, give away more money. If you want more time, give away your time. Like that's one of the oldest principles of the world because it tells the universe it's in abundance and you, you'll just have it pour in. But, you know, be the person that reaches out and um, uh, reach out for, you know, on your own behalf, take a risk on yourself and, uh, and good things happen, man. That's it. Words of wisdom right there. Yeah. You know, you, you gotta, we gotta live life and we gotta take risks and we gotta, we gotta be the change that we want to see in the world. That's right, man. Thanks a lot, man. I, I enjoy, uh, I enjoy listening to your story and your message, bro. Thank you. Appreciate yeah. you guys. Appreciate you coming on. Yeah, I really appreciate you. Like, comment, subscribe. Uh, see you guys on the next for, one. Uh, hanging out with us.